Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. You know, when I come up to the front, I always like to just ask the Lord to hide me behind the cross. And that when I'm speaking to you, that it's not me that you're hearing, but that it's God. And so that I pray this, morning, uh, this afternoon, in fact, that, um, that it's not me that you're going to hear. And I do pray that you'll take something from this today that is from the very treasure room of heaven itself and that you'll be encouraged and uplifted and feel that God has really spoken to you. Amen? So we're going to look at the book of Jeremiah, chapter 18. That's going to be our focus this afternoon. And it's a very, very small passage of scripture. It's just verses 1 through 6 that we're going to look at. Um, But just to give you a bit of a flavor of what was happening at the time, Jeremiah was a prophet, and he was a prophet unto the nation of Judah. And Following the death of Solomon, the United Kingdom of Israel split into two factions or two provinces. You had the north and the south. The north remained Israel and the south was called Judah. And at different points, at various points in history, they had different kings that uh, looked over those people. Now, depending upon the hearts of the kings and the hearts of the people... God was either pleased or unpleased or displeased with them. And uh, so we pick this up here at chapter 18, um, which is a point where God is is instructed Jeremiah to go down to the potter's shed, to the potter's house, uh, and to witness and see something. And it's there that he speaks to him about what he's going to do to the nations. So we're going to pick it up at uh, chapter chapter 18, verse 1. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Go down to the potter's house and there I will give you my message. So I went down to the potter's house and I saw him working at the wheel. But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. Amen. It's a small passage of scripture that we're going to extract from. But what I would like to do this afternoon is just unpack a few of the thoughts that I had surrounding this and share them with you. And hopefully you can kind of follow some of the thoughts that we that I had around this and you can be encouraged and more importantly, provoked into action, provoked into digging further into the word for yourselves, but also provoked into doing something that God is calling you to do. Amen. The first point that I would like to extract from this this afternoon is that things 
don't always work out as planned. Jeremiah 18 verse 4 says, But the pot he was shaping from the clay was marred in his hands. Marred implies that it was damaged or affected, defective in some way. That it picked up some kind of impurities or was not doing what it should have been doing. And I remember as a kid that I was going down to to various places with my grandparents as they would. They would, on days like this, they would take us out to far off villages and places off the beaten track. And these little places would have lovely little artisan type shops with a workshop at the back. And in one of these places, there was, uh, in this little town, uh, there was a, a little shop that had lots of decorative plates, jugs, bowls, all made by some kind of a potter. And in there, they had uh, been, some of them painted, some of them were dried out, some of them were on the racking, and some of them they were actually working on whilst we were having a wander around. And it was interesting to see what they were doing with this clay. And they had different types of clay and little plastic wraps all on display. And they would take off the clay and they would throw it onto this wheel, turn it on, and it would start to spin around. And as soon as it starts to spin at a certain speed, they would then start to apply water and start to mold and shape it into whatever they were conjuring up. And what's interesting is that that lump of clay had a blueprint in the potter's mind. The potter had already conjured up in their mind what they were going to be doing with that piece of clay. They had already perceived in their mind that it was going to be either a plate or a bowl or a jug or something else. But at times, the clay would either respond or not respond to the way that the potter was trying to work it and they would have to reshape and start again so the first thing that I kind of recognize here is that when we look at the scripture we can see that this this illustration is showing that there is a clay that is being worked on by a potter okay let's bear that in mind a master potter the second thing we can think about here is that the type of clay that was being used allows the clay to either respond easily, quickly, to be shaped easily, to be formed into what it's supposed to be, or the type of clay would be uh, have a mineral content or a water content that would actually uh, affect the way that it is being worked on and shaped by the potter. And when we consider this and we relate this now to what was happening with the kingdom of Israel and what was happening with Judah. We can see that God is showing us that he perceives these nations as lumps of clay. He perceives us as lumps of clay, if we can use the same illustration. And he is the master potter and we are the clay. And that when we can understand that relationship between us and him, 
then we can understand that he has got a blueprint for our lives. That it's not an accident that we kind of do the things that we do, that we are in the families that we're in, that we have the friends that we have. It's not an accident that we find ourselves here on a Sunday afternoon and not the morning, which I'm so tempted to keep calling it. But it's not an accident that you're in the job that you're in. It's not an accident. Part of it is all to do with the blueprint of what God has got for your lives. Amen? When we can understand that he has this blueprint, then we can truly understand where we need to acknowledge and what we we can identify in relation to this scripture. Amen? So Judah... At that time, as we come back to the scripture, Judah around this time had fallen away from God. Both Israel and Judah had committed such apostasy. They had forsaken their relationship and their faith with God. What they had done was they had started turning to idol worship. They would started turning to doing things that were pleasing to the people and the neighboring nations around them to appease them. And to try and keep peace with those, with those nations. But actually what they weren't doing was putting their faith and their trust and their worship into the one true God. So they had committed apostasy. They had given up on their faith and they would given up on their principles. They had turned away from their first love. Now in countless times throughout their history, both Israel and Judah, they had been brought through many different challenges. And each time they would be rescued and brought back to God. He would send them off into exile and then he would return them and bring them back. And what we can see here is that this is the beginning part now where God has had enough. And he is saying, enough is enough. As a nation, you have fallen away from me. I'm going to hand you over to your enemies. And I'm going to hand you over to the warring nations. Now, the neighboring nations at that time would have been Egypt, Assyria, uh, would have been Babylon. And those surrounding nations were already trying to vie for different forms of power amongst themselves. And caught in the middle of this was was, um, Israel and Judah. And so their desire to turn away from God and to give up their faith and to give up their principles and give up their relationship with God angered him to the point where he said, right, I'm handing you over to your enemies. So they became impure as a nation. Our lives... Our lives in this generation, in this time, our lives can also become affected by the people around us. They can become affected by politics, politicians, government decisions, policies. They can become affected by businesses. They can become affected 
more personally by temptations and sins, that which is within you that you desire and lust after. They can be, our lives can be affected by our ambitions and our goals. The things that we set out to try and achieve. As young as we are or as old as we are, we all still, I hope, have some kind of ambitions and goals. And if we do, we have to be mindful of the fact that those, those plans that we have can either be plans that are in keeping in line with what God has purposed for us, or they can be in con- uh, contradiction to what his purpose for us. Yes? So the blueprint for God's uh, plan for your life, the purpose that he has called you to, to do and to be, your identity is in him. That's your blueprint. That's where your inheritance lies. If you turn to the book of Proverbs, chapter 16 and verse 3, it says here, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. It doesn't say that you can't have plans. It doesn't say that you are not allowed to have ideas and thoughts about what you would like to do with your life and how you'd like to express your individuality and your uniqueness. But what it does say is that he will establish your plans if we commit them to him. Now, if he is the, the master potter, A master potter does not want to create a vase that looks hideous and is not functional and not decorative and doesn't do what it's supposed to do. Okay, I'm making a massive assumption here, but I I hope that every potter that's out there that I've ever bought anything from, from a potter, I do hope that they are making something that wants to be beautiful and functional. So they've got a blueprint and a plan for what they want to achieve. And if we present our plans to him, then he will direct our path. Proverbs 3, 5, 6. Trust in the Lord and lean not unto your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. Amen. Again, if we look at Proverbs 16, verse 9. In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Amen? All too often, we can succumb to the temptation of coming up with ideas and ambitions and goals and plans for what we want to do with our lives and the success that we want to see. But we are not willing to step the steps that the Lord has purposed for us. Instead, we want to choose a path that we feel is more comfortable for us and puts us in a place and an audience and a crowd uh, where we get recognized and glorified and lifted up because of our achievements and successes and things like this. It's counterfeit. It's counterfeit and it's come to rob you from what God has purposed for your life. Amen. So I just want to encourage you that the first 
place we need to get to with this scripture is recognizing who the author is. Who the master potter in our lives is. And when we look at what he was doing with the nation of Judah and Israel, and we can see what was happening back in history to this nation of people, we can then look at our own lives and say, well, I'm going to evaluate and self-examine myself from here on in. What are my plans? What are my steps? What am I trying to achieve? Is it to glorify him or is it to glorify me? Is it to lift me up and make me look successful or is it to glorify him? Is it to demonstrate the gifts that he has given me or is it to demonstrate how amazing I am at being able to juggle my time and manage this, that and the other? So you have to be really, really honest with yourself and you have to look and say, is this from God? What are the plans for my life? Now, not everybody is called to be a minister. Not everybody is called to be a preacher or a teacher. Not everybody is called to be an evangelist. We all, when we come to Christ, we do those things because of our love for Jesus and our desire to share and spread his word. But can we not also be Christian business people, Christian doctors, Christian nurses, Christian teachers, Christian caretakers in school? Can we not fulfill those roles and functions within society to the best of our godly ability, demonstrating the godly character that's within us because that's what he has purposed for your life? Amen? And sometimes when we become Christians and we turn to Christ, we then start comparing who we are and what we are doing and our identity in, in, in our jobs and careers and everything that we thought that God is putting us on that path to. And we start to examine, we, I, I must be a preacher or I must be a teacher or I must be an evangelist because I'm called to those offices. I must be called to do those things because I can see so-and-so doing it or so-and-so doing it. It's good to be inspired. It's good to be encouraged, but equally you have to be able to turn to the master potter and ask him, what is the blueprint for my life? Where are you wanting me to be placed and positioned to lift up and magnify and glorify your name in whichever particular season? Amen. So the first thing we need to recognize is that things don't always work out as planned. And sometimes we need to go back, check ourselves, and realize that actually we need to change. Do we recognize God's hand on our lives, and are we allowing his plans to get to our hearts? In Psalms 40, verse 5, it says here, many... O Lord, my God, this is King David. Many, O Lord, my God, are the wonders that you have done. The things you planned for us, no one can recount to you. Were I to speak and tell of them, they would be too many to declare. Would you not want to be in a position in your life where you can one day sing that or say that over your own life? 
that the plans that are fulfilled in your life are so many that you cannot even count them. And the only way that you can get to that place is to recognize the plan of God upon your life and the steps you need to walk in it. Amen? The second point that I would like to bring today. If we go back to our scripture, Jeremiah 18 and verse 4. Second point I would like to bring today is, is this. But the pot he was shaping at the, uh, from the clay was marred in his hands. So the potter formed it into another pot, shaping it as seemed best to him. First of all, we recognize that God is the master potter. And we recognize that his blueprint and his plans for our lives are where we should be turning. Secondly, we see that God's desire is always to rebuild and restore. Amen? So if we go back to our little potter's wheel now, and we look at what was happening to this lump of clay in the potter's house, to reshape the clay, the potter was required to start again. So they would throw the clay onto the potter's wheel, apply some water. They would start to shape the the clay. They would start to mold it into becoming whatever that they had purposed and perceived it to be. But the master potter was such a professional at what they were doing that they would start to feel the defects and impurities within the clay, even as it was turning upon the wheel. And in so doing, they would actually crush what they were working on And start all over again. The same clay. Nothing added. Nothing further removed. But they would reshape and reform. Until those defects were removed. Now if obviously there were foreign objects within the clay itself. They would pluck them out and pull them out. Until they had got the finish that they were looking for. So that's what was happening on the potter's wheel. But what's happening now to the nation of Judah and Israel. Well, God is showing here to Jeremiah how he's not going to destroy his people. He's showing them, in one version it says that the clay was crushed, and in the other it says that it was reshaped and reformed. The implication is still this. God is not going to destroy his people. Instead, what he's going to do is he's going to take them out into an exile, take them away and allow them to, uh, to, to feel the consequences of their decisions and their choices and their actions. That what they've been doing has been displeasing to him. So consequently, he is going to hand them over to their sins. He's going to hand them over and hide his face from them. And if you read all the dialogue that happens before this verse there's a lot of anguish and a lot of hurt and a lot of pain in what God is saying to Jeremiah in his words and the condemnation if it, or, or, or the, the, the judgment that's being placed on the nations of Judah at that time the wording was very powerful and very strong you know he's calling he's calling the nation a prostitute You have sold yourself into prostitution. 
You've sold yourself into turning away from your love, from a marriage, from a union with your husband. And you have turned away and you've prostituted yourself out. And you're handing yourself over to all these other nations. So at this particular time, what Jeremiah is seeing is that God is, is anguished and in pain and hurt by the fact that his children have turned away from him, despite the fact that countless times he rescued them and brought them back to him to have a relationship. And at this point, he's saying to Jeremiah, I'm not going to crush them. I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going to destroy them entirely. But they need to feel my judgment. And so he casts them out into exile and hands them over to Babylon. Now, in Jeremiah 33, verse 4 to 9, this is where we see God sharing with Jeremiah and sharing what he's going to do, that he's not just going to crush and exile his nation. Have we got that verse? Jeremiah 33, verse 4, yep. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says about the houses in this city and the royal palaces of Judah that have been torn down to be used against the siege ramps and the sword. In the fight with the Babylonians, they will be filled with the dead bodies of the people that I will slay in my anger and wrath. And I will hide my face from the city because of all its wickedness. But nevertheless, I will bring health And healing to it. I will heal my people. And I will let them enjoy abundant peace and security. I will bring Judah and Israel back from captivity. And will rebuild them as they were before. I will cleanse them from all the sin they have committed against me. And will forgive all their sins of rebellion against me. Then this city will bring me renowned joy Praise and honor before all nations on earth that hear of all the good things I do for it. And they will be in awe and will tremble at the abundant prosperity and peace I provide for it. It's not all doom and gloom. But sometimes, sometimes our choices, our actions, the things we do, the things we pick up. The impurities that we pick up from the world, from the people around us, traditions and uh, habits and uh, all, all manner of things that different cultures do, even in this country, we pick them up. And we do it sometimes to appease people. We do it to try and bridge gaps and build relationships Which is important that we do that with people. But how many compromises are we making? How many compromises are you making? I wonder actually how how this started, to be honest, with Israel and Judah. Was it that, that they had just turned away completely and stopped trusting? Or do you feel that maybe it was gradual? That it was one compromise after another, another compromise after another, and then another compromise. And in order to be able to try and keep peace in the nations and stop people from warring, they were finding that actually they were no longer worshipping the one true God. And they brought condemnation upon themselves. They brought judgment upon themselves for that. And so it's not all doom and gloom. When God is speaking to Jeremiah, he's showing them that, yes, I'm going to do this. 
But I am also going to rebuild and and restore. That's also evident in our own lives. We can testify to that because we are sitting here because of God's grace and his mercy. If you read further on in Jeremiah 33 and we look at verses 15 to 16. It says here, in those days and at that time I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. That's King David. He will do what is just and right in the land. And in those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteous saviour. It's whisperings. It's whisperings of Jesus. It's foretelling that there will be a Lord, our righteous saviour, that comes from David's line. But how can that be? How can, how can that saviour come from David's line if, Bab- if, if Israel and Judah are handed over to Babylon and they're held in captivity? If they're held in captivity, they're not in the land. They're not where they should be in order for the king to be upon his throne. In order for that line, that bloodline to continue. But we read from Jeremiah's prophecy earlier. That God intends to build and restore and bring the nation back. And he does that. And then in so doing, he allows the path to be laid for Jesus Christ. Our Lord and our saviour to come. And our Lord and our Saviour, Jesus Christ, is born. He lives a pure and holy life. He's crucified. Suffers upon the cross. Reconciles us back to the Father. Reconciles us so that we have a restored relationship. That we can now approach the Father and ask him, what's my blueprint? What's my plan? Who am I? What's my identity? What is my inheritance? The Bible says that we are sons and daughters of the Most High. Amen? We have an identity in Christ. We should be encouraged. We should be joyful. For our future, our very days right now that we are walking are wrapped up in him. Amen. He came and paid the price for all of us. All our sins, past, present and future, taken care of at the cross. His mercy and his grace rebuilt and restored a relationship that was broken and fragmented from the Garden of Eden. From nations of people turning away and not living lives to please God. There was always in history, always one group of people or one person or one family or one tribe. that would always put their faith and trust in God. And in so doing, they allowed Jesus to come into this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever should believe in him shall not perish, 
but shall have everlasting life. Do you want everlasting life? Are you walking in everlasting life? Have you embraced it? Because sometimes we can forget our identity. We can forget the plans and the purposes that God has for our lives. And we can hand over that identity to the evil one. And we can then stop walking in our authority. We can stop walking in our inheritance that we've embraced from the moment that Jesus reclaimed it on the cross. But Jesus is the one that came to restore and rebuild that which was broken. Amen? So we can be encouraged and lifted up this morning. The third point I would like to bring is this. From verse 18, sorry, chapter 18, verse 6. So we're going back to our main text now. It says, O house of Israel... Can I not do with you as this potter does, declares the Lord. Like clay in the hand of the potter, so are you in my hand, O Israel. You are in his hand. He is the master potter. And you are in his hands. You're not abandoned. You're not left on the shelf somewhere. Like a piece of clay that's waiting and drying, you're not being left on the waiting rack. Something that's about to go into the kiln or the furnace, you've not been shoved to one side, waiting to go into the refiner's fire. (laughs) There will be a time where a piece of pottery has to go in the kiln and it has to be fired. Because that's what seals it. That's what gives it the final finish. And then it has to be decorated and glazed and then go back in the kiln one more time where it is then finished off. And it ends up as the final product. But when we look throughout the scripture here at Jeremiah, God uses in Jeremiah the phrase, For I, the Lord, have spoken. Every time he's giving a prophecy or showing something to Jeremiah, and he says, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. This will happen to these people. Then I'm going to do this. Then I'm going to do that. Then something else is going to happen. Then I'm going to bring about this. Then I'm going to bring about that. Every single time he says, for I, the Lord, have spoken. It seals his authority. It seals his sovereignty. He shows in this scripture that he is a God who has the power and the authority and the desire and the will to raise up or tear down kings and nations. He could have left them be. But he allowed the enemies to surround Judah and Israel and take them over. He handed them over and took them into exile. Whatever God's purpose is for that nation back then, 
God's purposes will be fulfilled in this world, in this continent, in this country, in the nations that we are in or from, in this county, in this city, in our homes and in our lives. God's will be done. Amen? So let us be encouraged that what we can do is either fight against it and resist what God has purposed for our lives. Or we can actually try and be like this malleable piece of clay, this beautiful piece of clay that can be molded and shaped and become something decorative and beautiful and functional. Depending on how malleable you are will determine how far you can go with God. And the treasures that you can store in your vessel pot that you are will be determined by how malleable and easily shaped you are by God. If you resist, then you will not gather up much treasure. And when you finally stand before him, you'll be answerable for the way that you have been and the way that you have acted and the way that you have lived and what you have done with your life. Amen? It's not something that we should be fearful of in terms of doing something wrong or maybe missing the mark slightly. But what we do need to recognize is that God is sovereign. He is the author and the perfecter of our lives. We cannot go through our lives messing about, pretending, trying to avoid what God has called us to do. Because when we do, we end up falling short of his glory over and over and over and over again. And my question is, is Christ really in you? Because if he was, you'd be acting differently. You'd be changed. You'd be doing something different. You'd be desiring different things. That's what the word says. Sometimes, at my lowest times, I don't want to read the word because it's like looking in the mirror and being told all the things that I already know about myself. I know that I don't get that right. I know that I've done this wrong. I know that I can't do this and I know that I can't do that. But it is his grace. It's his grace that lifts us up. It is him that is exalted and glorified and magnified and not ourselves. But it's those times where I don't want to read the word. But I must. I must. Because that's the one time where those impurities and those imperfections would be revealed to me and I'll be able to have to deal with them. And for those of us who are sitting here today, maybe who, who haven't even got into the word for a while, who, who maybe pick it up and just read a few verses and then put it down again, or they, they'd rather um, hear it from someone else sharing it with them, I encourage you, get into the word of God because it is the bread of life. It is the, the meat of his word that is going to build you up and strengthen you and help you to resist temptation and sin and discouragement and abandonment, and all manner of other things that this world will have to offer you. It's his word and his spirit. If you aren't in relationship with him, if you don't know him, 
then you need to recognize his sovereign authority over your lives. And you need to surrender your, your vessel of your life over to him. I was sharing earlier a little testimony of something that happened in my life many, many years ago. It was over 10 years ago now. I've been involved in the print industry. And uh, it's over 10 years ago now since I had this idea that I would start a business and get involved in designing and printing and print management and all this sort of stuff. And it started out in my bedroom using Microsoft Word, as you do. You try and do things free and do things on the cheap. And it gradually started becoming quite successful. And I kept sort of thinking, this is what I want to do. This is, this is what I want to, to grow as a business. I want to make it happen. But the more successful it became, the more compromises I had to make. To the point where I actually started losing my identity as a Christian. And I can identify with this scripture today, which is why I want to share it with you guys. And I want to encourage you with it. Because I actually went through a period of my life where I thought I was doing things for the glory and the success of God. If my business is successful and it's making a profit, then I can do this and I can do that. And I can put into this and I can help this project and I can help that project. And I can do all manner of things for the glory of God. But the question is, really was it for God or was it just for my own selfish ambition? Was it for my own pride that I was doing this? Had I really listened to the Holy Spirit and what he was saying. And as time went on, I had to make so many difficult compromises to the point where I walked away. I was so broken and dry inside. I was like this piece of clay that was so dry that I couldn't be formed or shaped or molded at that point. Such apathy. I would hear the word and I wouldn't be moved. I'd stand in worship and I'd, I'd see people worshipping and I would be thinking, why is everyone so joyful and happy and moved by the Holy Spirit? Because I can't feel anything. I'm dry. Every time I tried to kneel and pray, I could think of a million and one things that I had to do right now that were most important, more important than consulting my Father in heaven. And the longer this went on, the more and more I forgot who I was. I had no authority anymore. In terms of being able to pray about things and have any kind of strength or power over what I was what was what was being prayed I had no joy of the Lord in me I know that I'm you know quite a serious person anyway and I know that when people look at me they think that I'm like the most miserable person that walked the face of the earth you know I know that I love you all you can say it as it is But the truth is, I was dying inside. Week in, week out, I would come to church and 
I'd put on a mask and I'd present this beautiful decorated pot that I am, painted and garnished, glazed, well-dressed, smart, intellectual, handsome. Oh, sorry. (laughs) Getting carried away. But I presented myself in this way. But on the inside, I was dry. I was cracked. I was broken. And there was one time I was driving back from a late night working. I, I was over in the Midlands somewhere and I driving back. And I was just crying the whole way. And I was like, Lord, why? Why would, why would this happen? Why, why would you give me this, this idea or allow me to feel that I could do this if you didn't take it all away? Why? And I had no answers. And I don't recommend you do this, but I carried on driving through tear-filled eyes. And my eyes were so filled and just pouring down my face that I was really struggling to see the road. I couldn't work out whether it was raining or whether it was me. But it was that difficult. I just want to share that with you because I think that sometimes we can go through life and we can really feel that we are, we've got to pretend, you know? We've got to pretend that everything's all right. We've got to pretend that we are holy and spiritual Just as my brother next to me or my sister on the other side. Or brother dingling at the back. The truth is, if you're broken on the inside, you need the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. You need to surrender who you are to the master potter. Who can fix you. Who can mend those broken places in your life. Who can redirect your steps. Who can set you on to a better path. One that leads to life and not destruction. I thank God that I was in church. I thank God that I am here today. Because of his grace and mercy. I thank him. Because if it wasn't for for his grace and his mercy. Then I wouldn't be able to encourage or share with people what God has done. Now on the way back from that drive, I had a phone call from a friend we don't normally talk on the phone too much but this one time he rang and I was crying and driving and crying and driving and crying and driving I got to where I wanted to be and I got to at such a point where I wanted to go and drink to go and get completely drunk because I didn't want to feel the pain anymore I was just so, I wanted to feel numb. I didn't want to feel the pain and the hurt and the feeling of being lost and lonely. I didn't want that. I'd already had that in my life. I didn't want that anymore. 
And so I'd kind of, in, in that little moment, I thought to myself, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to go and do what I did when I was younger before I became a Christian. I'm just going to go and blow my mind right now. And that's what, I, that's, that's what I'd resigned myself to do. But then I had a phone call. And uh, I missed the call, so I returned it straight back. And in so doing, this really good friend of mine, really dear friend, he said to me, I really felt the Holy Spirit prompt me to call you and to tell you that he's heard everything that you've been saying. One phone call can change everything. Now, it's not maybe as serious as someone who is contemplating suicide. Maybe not as serious as someone who has got to the lowest point of their life where they want to take it, where there is no hope, where they cannot see any other options. But I got a glimpse that evening of how desperate people can be when they kind of run out of ideas or run out of ways to try and make things right. And do the right thing. And actually what happens is you find yourself falling further and further and further and further away. That's what happened to the nation of Israel and Judah. They compromised too many times. As followers of Christ Jesus, how many compromises are you going to be making? How many? How many is the right number? How many is the magic number? Nobody, please don't tell me seven. <laughs> Dave Jones, if you're listening, on this, on this question, it is not seven. <laughs> How many times are you going to make compromises to your faith, to your confidence, to your trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the lily of the valley, the bright and morning star. How many times are we going to surrender our identity and authority to the enemy? I want to encourage you today through this word and through some of my story, my testimony. I want to encourage you that God is sovereign. He is the author over all things. God has authority and sovereign, sovereignty over this world, over all nations, and it's never more evident than in the name of Jesus. If we turn to the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 5 to 11. says this, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather he made himself nothing, completely selfless. By taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance 
as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Even death on a cross, the most shameful type of death in the day. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. How beautiful is that? How amazing is that? That the very God that Israel and Judah turned their backs on, that turned away from, the very God that created this world, created our lives, the very God stepped down from heaven wrapped himself in human flesh and sacrificed himself so that all the debts of humanity, the sin, the judgment, the wrath of God himself would be heaped on Jesus and not on you. Your debts are paid. But the signature still needs to be signed. Your debts are paid But the signature still needs to be signed. So today, if you haven't already, you need to recognize who Jesus is. That he is the name above all other names. That there is no other name by which we can be saved. We have to confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. If you do not, when, you, when it comes to Jesus returning, you will face a different type of judgment. You will face the wrath and the anger of God because you are not covered by the blood covenant of Jesus Christ. His blood covers our sins. It blots it out. It hides it from God, the Father. But when you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you repent and turn of your sins. When you start to ask him for his plans for your life, his blueprint for your life, and you start to embrace it and walk in it, When you start to recognize that it's God's desire to put you back on the potter's wheel and to reshape you and reform you and build you up and mold you into what he has called you to be. When you embrace it, you will be storing treasures. Amen? In heaven. God has complete control over your lives. He always has done. But you know the beauty about our God in heaven is that he does not impose himself on you. He gives you free will. You can choose to accept him. You can choose to come back to him and recommit your life to him. You can choose because you have free will. Because that is his grace upon your life. Today we need to recognize that we are the pots. And he is the master potter. 
before we worship, I just want to ask a few questions for you to chew over and to think about in your heart and your spirit. I want you to contemplate these, not just for today, not just for this week, but I want you to chew them over for the rest of your lives. How malleable are you? How soft and shaping can you be? Can you allow God to mold you and shape you to be what he has called you to be? Can the glory that he has purposed for you be made ever more evident in you? Are you truly becoming what God has called you to be? Is your character without question? I know mine's not. Are you faultless? I know I'm not. But that's what we should be aspiring to be. In Him. Not according to what the world is asking for us to do. Do you recognize His hand upon your life? Every time He breathes upon circumstances and situations, on successes and tragedies. Can you recognize the work of God active in your life? Are there impurities and imperfections within you that like that clay have to be kneaded out in order to be reshaped? Do you need to be remolded? Or do you simply need to know the master potter? Have you never known him? Have you never known Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Thank you for listening and we trust that the word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org. If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.